Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. We've been going through Psalm 107 this week, and now I want to give you a preview of what we're going to study tomorrow in our sermon titled, Seriously for Real This Time. What's been on my heart in this is that Easter would not have been merely a season for you that's passed. It wouldn't just be a season, but it would be a new trajectory. People come back to church for the first time in a while because it's Easter. And I don't want you to just see us again at Christmas. I want you to come back to church faithfully committed, coming back every week, and not just to get your fix. As great as worship is, as a side effect of all of us together glorifying God, we do experience healing in the Holy Spirit. We experience that peace. We get a glimpse of heaven, and we need that. But that's not why we do it. We give glory to God because He's worthy of that. I also want you to do it because you're shoulder to shoulder with people who love you and people who know exactly what it's like to struggle with the sin nature. They're experiencing victory over that sin in the most part, I hope, but they know exactly what it's like to struggle with the same sin nature with which you and I struggle. Here is the text that comes before tomorrow's text, Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. What should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. But I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. And here he quotes Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. And sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life again, and I died. Now we'll talk more about this because he's not being overly dramatic. The commandment that was meant for life resulted in death for me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. It's the third time now he's referred to himself being killed by sin. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and good. Therefore, did what is good become death to me? Absolutely not. But sin, in order to be recognized as sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that through the commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure. Let's talk about this. This is a theme in the book of Romans. He begins this theme earlier on in the book of Romans, and he carries it through chapter 6 and through chapter 7. He'll ask the question that everybody's asking, and then he'll answer it. All right, in this case, the question he asks is, is the law sin? The answer is absolutely not. He does the same thing down here. Therefore, did what is good become death to me? Absolutely not. In the previous chapter, he would ask a similar question, because where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Think about that. We're going to talk about that more tomorrow. That is a deeply profound statement. But then the very next question you might ask, and that we all do ask, and that Rasputin actually believed was, okay, then we should sin more, right, so that we receive more grace? Absolutely not. We died to sin. How can we go on living in it any longer? And here, the example that he uses is a commandment against covetousness, to describe how it produces within him every sort of covetousness. And he seems to go full nuclear, right? He seems to go, he seems to go all the way toward death. Like, like, Paul, it's just a little bit of coveting. Why do you keep going full nuclear? It's killing me. It led to death in me, and I died because of my awareness of sin through this commandment. Sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Let's take the example of covetousness. It could begin at a stoplight next to a nicer car than yours. 
it can begin looking at that gorgeous Dodge Viper. I'm thinking like, man, that would be really cool. I don't like my car anymore. I'm malcontent with it. Or that might even be too much of a stratospheric example. You might just look at any car that's slightly nicer than your car and think like, man, I just wish that I had that slightly nicer car. And then you look at your own car that you love, that you were ecstatic with the day you brought it home. You just go out to the garage to look at it. You go stand in the driveway in your slippers just looking at your new car. But now, because of this encounter at the stoplight or this photo that showed up on your social media newsfeed, or because of this scene in a movie or a TV show, you suddenly hate your car. It's part of human nature. It's part of our depraved nature. We want what we can't have and we despise what we do have. And so this malcontent little seed has just begun to sprout in your heart and you don't do anything about it. You're aware that this is vacation Bible school day one basic, do not covet, but you allow it to grow. And then you start to look at your house differently. You see the real estate show. You see someone else posing in front of a brand new house, looking at it like jerks. And then everything within that house suddenly begins to diminish in your view. You loved it. You were ecstatic the day that you got it. But now all of a sudden it's not as good as fill in the blank. And so it's, now it's a source of covetousness for you. And pretty soon, like fog on a windshield of that car you once loved, everything begins to get distorted and you can't see things the way they truly are. You don't see how immensely blessed you actually are. You just want to keep up with the Joneses. You want to surpass the Joneses. You want to become the Joneses. Everything that you have is fine. It all meets your needs well. But now, sitting in your big house, you're malcontent. And that blurred lens begins to distort the way you view your spouse, the way you view your whole financial situation, your trajectory, your standard of living, your station in life. And then pretty soon you begin to take compromises at work. You begin to mistreat your spouse. You begin to fracture the very fabric of your family bond. And it all started because you saw a Tesla at a stoplight. You see, sin, when it's full grown, does indeed give birth to death. I have counseled couples on the brink because this little seed began to sprout. Pretty soon that covetousness would cause someone to look at someone else's spouse and then marriages break. Be careful at stoplights and on social media. You can see how, man, this does lead to indeed death. Apart from the law, sin is dead. We'll talk about that. The commandment came, sin sprang to life again, and I died. And then here he says that it killed me. Sin, not the commandment, but sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived and killed him. Sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't tolerate just a little bit of sin in your life. Partial repentance is complete disobedience. Eradicate it. Establish accountability where you need and enjoy that victory over sin. Enjoy that victory that God grants by the power of the Holy Spirit in repentance. Tomorrow we're going to talk about the next phrase in this text because it's incredible. Paul describes the human condition perfectly. He, can, he describes the human condition for a Christian better than any other piece of literature ever described. Go figure. It's almost like it's inspired by the Holy Spirit or something. It is. 
He's going to talk about what it's like to have the Holy Spirit of God within you, and you want to do what pleases God. But then when you do what pleases God, there's the sin nature, that natural proclivity unto sin that you were born with, that's also right there. We were all indeed born this way. And Paul's response is not to just give in to the sin and define his whole life by that sin. By the way, that's not so far away from what you're doing when you decide just not to go to church because you've got sin in your life. Instead, instead, by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, drawn to repentance, we flee from sexual immorality. We resist the devil and he flees from us. We walk in step with the Spirit and not in step with the flesh. And life is so much better, by the way. We'll talk more about this tomorrow. Would you get your heart ready now? We're taking communion. I pray that it's a huge blessing to you. Don't forget our challenge to forgive, forgive, forgive. I'll see you tomorrow.